you don't have to create an an antagonistic relationship with what's invaded your body right it's invaded your body and and dealing with these things on an anthropomorphic level as if it's some enemy that just makes absolutely no sense to me Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Hello, friends. Zachary Stockhill here, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on another special August episode edition of Humans in Love. Thank you for all of the kind words that people have been sending me, and I realize that some of you missed the podcast and wish it was coming out more regularly. Um, I'm going to work on that going into the fall, but above all, my, my focus is always going to be on quality over quantity. So the episodes might premiere a bit erratically, um, but I hope that's in service of the greater good of just putting out really good content for you guys. As you know, uh, if you've listened to this podcast before, I don't do ads on this podcast. However, I will take 20 seconds, maybe less, uh, maybe more, just to talk to you a little bit about my new book. I just want to say thank you mostly to everyone who has been leaving uh, reviews on Amazon and reaching out to me or sending me emails. With regard to my new book, it's called The Overcoming Jealousy Workbook. And I imagine many, if not all, or I shouldn't say all, most of you listening to this probably heard of me or first heard my name in relation to my work on jealousy. And all these years later, it remains a subject that I'm just absolutely fascinated by. It just seems endlessly interesting to me. And I'm always doing my best to put out resources that will be helpful to people struggling with jealousy in their relationships. And on that note, I really think at the risk of sounding immodest, I really think that I've accomplished that with my newest book. So if you're struggling with any kind of jealousy or you just want an interesting workbook to kind of get you thinking a little bit more clearly about your relationship and ways to move forward in your life, I think you'll really benefit from my new book. It's called The Overcoming Jealousy Workbook. It's available in paperback. It's available for Kindle. It's available, uh, I think, most online booksellers at this point. Without any further ado, I have a pretty interesting, pretty deep uh, conversation for you guys today. My guest is uh, a returning guest of the show. His name is James Bacho. James is a friend of mine. He's also an author and a philosopher. And you might remember him from episode, I believe it's episode four of the podcast before. Um, James and I are both pretty big film geeks and we talk about culture a lot in that episode. But today the focus is pretty much exclusively personal. James went through a pretty serious health crisis last year, Um, and, you know, it's a tough tough thing to talk about, you know, like coming close to, uh, you know, getting better in touch with our mortality, and what is it like to suffer a really serious health crisis, how does that change your perspective on the time you have left, etc., etc., so... This is kind of a heavy one today, but I really think uh, it's it's probably one of my favorite conversations that I've had for this podcast, actually. I, I got a lot out of it, and just today, listening to it again as I was editing it, I'm, uh, I'm reminded of how impactful it was and how insightful a lot of what James says is. 
So I hope you'll you'll enjoy this conversation. I hope you benefit from it in some way. I hope it touches you in some way. And don't be afraid, as always, to let me know what you think. You can always reach me by email at Zachary at zfstockhill.com. You can always go to humansandlove.com to find show notes and a whole lot more. So without any further ado, here's another kitchen table conversation with my good friend, James Bacho. Jim. Yes. Welcome back to my kitchen. Thank you. It's nice to be here again. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, what the hell happened to you last year? <laughs> Why don't we just start there? Um, well, everything's going fine and rosy and um, feeling a little stressed and overworked in my job <laughs> because it was a uh, high-stress uh, teaching situation at a university. I really enjoyed it um, there. I loved my colleagues and the job and the teaching. But it was a lot, and I was overwhelmed. And one day, um, I uh, started feeling a pain in my belly, just you know, on my on my left side, just below my rib cage, um, and it just increased um, as the as the afternoon wore on. By the time I got home, um, it was really bad, and I thought it was some kind of food poisoning or. Um, some kind of, I don't know, um, something that was going to like pass. A, like a dull pain or like a really sharp pain? Or? Well, that's the thing. It was just, it, it was an enormous pain. <laughs> um, it wasn't like a, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it. It was just enormous. Um, and it turned out I was having a, an attack on my pancreas. Um, I was kind of delirious, um, I messaged some friends. You know, I was living in China, and what the hell do you do when situations like this happen? I didn't even know where the nearest hospital was. Um, tip for you folks out there, know where the hospital is. No matter where you are. No matter where you are. That's good advice. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I um, messaged some friends, and I was like, do you have any, like, I wanted some antacid or something, you know. And my friend Mike he played me my message back later and I was like out of breath. I couldn't like, it was really kind of scary. And he said, I'm calling you a car. So he got me a car and I went to the hospital on the drive over from my house to the hospital. It was, we got stuck in traffic and I was in the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. And the thing that I recall later is it was like the scene in the movie Reservoir Dogs. You remember Reservoir Dogs? Right after the opening scene in the restaurant, it, you know, there's the sound of pain that kind of brings in the next scene. That's the way I remember it anyway. And then it cuts to, you know, uh, Tim Roth in the backseat of the car after he's been shot, right? Right, right. Harvey Keitel's trying to take him to the safe place. Mm-hmm. And Tim Roth is just screaming in pain. That's exactly what I was doing. And I was in the backseat and I was kind of lying there and just I couldn't take it anymore I felt like I was dying and we got stuck in traffic and I was going to jump out of the car and just I don't know what just get out of that situation by the time I got to the hospital I was just delirious with pain um screaming like all over your body or no in 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 that spot in that spot in my ribs and in my back um and just 
screaming in pain while they're filling out the paperwork. And, and I kept thinking, like, just why am I a conscious? Why am I not passing out? Mm. Um, it was that bad. And, you know, I learned later that um, basically my pancreas was eating itself. And so that was the pain that I was going through. Was my internal, my organ was dissolving. Um, and they, you know, they said if I had gotten there 30 minutes later, I would have died. Um, so thanks to my friend, uh, Mike Hughes for rescuing me. Um, shout out to Mike. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> thanks buddy. Um, so yeah, that was, that was good. And then, you know, it, it, I, they gave me, um, morphine and, and all of that. And, <clears throat> and I was in this hospital in, in, uh, Zhuhai. Let's not name the hospital, That's maybe. Um, but they didn't know what to do with me. Um, and there was a language problem um, in terms of me not understanding Chinese. And there wasn't very much English being spoken. So I was kind of stuck in this situation. You know, they gave me a diagnosis. They would do these tests, all that sort of thing. Um, getting a lot of painkillers, um, being, you know completely out of it um friends and colleagues visiting me and checking up on me um but i was a i was a mess and i was in in that state for about they kept me there for about three weeks um eventually they said okay we're going to try to put you on some food and so i started eating food and then i felt okay and they said okay you can go home um they said be very careful with your diet and even my colleagues were saying, just eat kanji, you know, mm-hmm. water, rice, that's it. Um, and I was arrogant and I ate things that I thought were healthy. Um, and I had a relapse two days later, three days later. And again, I was in enormous pain, um, not as much pain, um, but I couldn't take it. And I had a colleague that time drive me to the hospital. Stayed again um, for a while. And then eventually they, the doctors came around and they said, honestly, we don't know why you're not dead. And we don't know what else to do with you. You need to go. They said, go to the States, whatever. I had no health insurance in the States. This is a problem of the U.S. health system is that I did not have um, coverage there. Um, you know, coverage in the States is usually done through employment. Um, and I was not employed in the States. And so I couldn't go home. Um, and, but the hospital kicked me out, even though I wasn't healthy. Um, so some friends uh, at my university came through. Um, a friend of mine named Iceman uh, secured me this situation where I would be transported um, by a private company over to Hong Kong and get treatment there. Um, so that's what I did. I stayed in Hong Kong. I got this doctor who was very animated. He's like, you almost died, but you have a chance for a second life. Um, and he was very, very animated and excited. I stayed there for about a month. Um, and then eventually, I mean, I ran into, you know, my health insurance ran out. I, I, I was stuck um, with these bills that were piling up and I had to get out of there. And 
my sisters came through um my my two elder sisters came through um one of my sisters came to visit me in hong kong she said you could stay with me in the u.s the other sister set up a gofundme and i was really uncomfortable with that because i didn't want to ask for people to do that um but she insisted and that ended up you know really in a financial sense saving me and and all of these people came through and donated and i was just stunned at how much money i raised through that and that's that's this whole community of of friends and and um that i've you know really nurtured and people that i care about and and people that i've known in these different places that i've lived and you know who've been in my life you know just hundred dollars here, two hundred dollars there, twenty-five dollars there, in some cases a thousand dollars here and there, just coming through and, and saving me. And and it was a lot of people. And it's you know, I I didn't want to really take note too strongly of who was donating me because I didn't want to take note of who didn't. Do you know what I mean? Um so I was thankful for what everybody did and I and I haven't been able to thank people on an individual level, but I hope they know how much I appreciate that um, because that was huge. Um, and then my my other sister um, gave me a place to stay in the States and both of them helped me, you know, work through the problems of health insurance in the States. I was able to get on Medicaid, Obamacare. So thanks Obamacare, so yeah, thanks Sincerely. Obama. Sincerely, thank you, Obama. So I went back to the states. I had, um, you know, three different doctors look at me, and um, my sister Catherine came up with these recipes that I could eat, and um, I was much more careful with my food this time, and slowly gained some strength back. Let's let's back up for sure. a minute because. So we were just talking before we started recording. The last time I saw you was mm-hmm. in a hospital room in Hong Kong. You came to visit me. Yes. Yeah, I did, yeah. And that was great. And this was, I think it was, was it the day before you were due to fly back? I don't know if you remember. I think it was. Was I, it the day before? I, th- I think you were flying out literally the next day. Okay. If memory serves. Yeah. yeah. And you looked terrible. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But like, you know, and that... <laughs> I was, and, and that, I guess I'm saying, telling you that now because, you know, seeing you today and seeing you roll up, you know, with good color in your face mm. and, you know, mm-hmm. seemingly good energy and, you know, it's, 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 it's very uh, nice to see that because you were in rough shape, you know? Yeah. Um, it was obviously. It was interesting seeing the faces seeing me mm. because I, I, I could sense that. It's strange when you're in that situation because you're just, you're dealing with it. And, and yeah, I had kind of a weird um, reaction to having friends come visit me because I wanted people, I had this idea in my head, I don't want anybody to come visit me because it's, you know, then I'm going to, they're going to be upset when they see me and, and also I'm not going to, I don't know what to say, I, you know, I'm, I'm I don't know, maybe I, maybe it's the appearance that I want to give to f- 
friends. I don't know. I, you know, there's a certain amount of vanity there. Well, I wonder, I wonder also, and again, I've never been in your position, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I've been in the position of, well, for example, when my, when my mother died, people just, they're looking to you to provide something that you don't know how to provide. And it's like, and you really don't know what to say mm-hmm. and how to handle that. And right. people don't know how to act. And so right. I wonder if this, it's similar to that in some ways where people are looking for something from you that maybe you can't, you're not in any position to give. Yeah. I don't, yeah, that, I think that's part of it. Um, I don't know exactly what it is. Um, but then, like, there's a friend of mine, Gino, who wanted to come from Korea. And this is early in my process, and I was still in a massive amount of pain. And especially during that time, I was like, no, no, Gino, don't, don't fly over here. Because you're just going to sit here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be lying there in pain. Um, having said that, once people did come, I was happy they came. Um, but especially early on, like you saw me in a, it's funny that you say that I look terrible early on. Like you, I I remember the faces of people and I looked, Mm. I looked awful. Mm. Um, and you know, I had colleagues come visit me and just, I, I remember the looks on their faces looking at me. Um, like, because I was, I mean, it's, it's a strange thing to think about, um, how close I was to death a couple of times. Um, and in that er- in those early moments, I was close. I guess throughout the whole thing, I could have gone at any time, and I just didn't. Um, which is, <laughs> I think, why the doctors said that. They said, we-, "We don't know why you're not dead. Please leave." Well, when I when I was visiting you in Hong Kong, I don't know how much you remember because you were probably on some serious painkillers. Well, that's the thing. Or... Is the whole that's the other part of the process is people would come visit, and I. I was half of myself, you know, mm. I, I, and I think I probably told you at some point, like when people would visit, I'd have to actually say, I can't, I can't talk anymore. Yeah. And yeah. you, you pretty much, I think, I, I don't remember how long we were talk, talking, but I remember there came a point when you were pretty wiped out. So I skedaddled. Um, yeah. but I mean, when I was, when I visited you, I was struck by your, self-awareness and even your the degree to which you it seemed like you were able to be reflective even the midst in the midst of what i can only imagine was an enormously traumatic experience um so i guess i'm just curious like when you're when you're in that hospital room when the doctors are telling you these things and when you know you're by no means out of the clear like what's going through your head you're just doing it you just um they give you information you say okay they say you know do this do that and you say okay um you know there's different types of hospitalization um obviously different conditions from from my situation my brain the i think the other thing that that happens is you know i didn't eat for three months so i was on a um, one of these bags iv bags that they give you so i basically fasted for three months i couldn't eat any fat and later learned that, you know, fat is very necessary for your brain. Mm. Like, your brain needs fat in order to process. So I I was kind of in a daze the whole time. I don't, you know, that's that's a period of time where I, I, I get snapshots, of memories of things. But mostly, and I tried to do some reading. I, I read a couple of books. Um, I didn't watch much TV. I tried to watch some 
TV series, but nothing was interesting me. Like I watched the Daredevil TV show and some some other TV shows, and it just wasn't nothing was interesting. Um, and it it might have to do with this sort of brain shutdown. I remember spending a lot of time staring at the curtains, you know, in, in the hospital room, and just really staring at the pattern. <laughs> That's what I would do. I would really look at that pattern. Um, and then in terms of them telling you things like, um, you know, updates on your health, you just go with it. Um, you, I I think in my experience, you know, you become very practical, um, about what's happening. And I think different people deal with the idea of death in different ways. And I, I feel like I pretty, have a pretty comfortable relationship with my mortality. I don't mind the idea of being taken anytime. Um, sorry, that's a little dark, but no, that, that's what we're here for, more or less. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm curious about that. Yeah, because I remember you mentioned something to that effect when I was seeing you in the hotel room, mm-hmm. uh, or in the hospital room rather. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take it as as being dark or morbid. I mean, you know, I I've experienced some pretty serious three people, basically the three closest women to me have mm-hmm. died over the past year and a half. Um, and as one who has been interested in Stoic philosophy for a long time, you know, one of the, the central tenets of Stoic philosophy is, you know, come to grips with your own mortality, let it inform everything you do, take some time every day to reflect on it. Um, you know, there's a lot of similar ideas in, in Buddhism. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in places like Varanasi in India and watching the burning ghats and things like that. This, this is something that I've always tried to do, but when, when I actually came really, you know, face to face with death in a lot of ways, um, I realized that I was talking shit before mm-hmm. I did. I didn't get it at, at, at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I really didn't. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you today is because I think it's really important to, to think about and to have these kind of conversations and to sort of get away from this idea that talking about death is morbid or you know it's like in the west we do such a good job of ignoring this you know for our entire lives just you know when someone dies we put makeup on them we put them in their favorite suit and we pretend that they're you know taking a sleep and we do everything within our power to ignore it but the the thing that i've found in my life and i don't know if this is resonates with you at all the thing that i've found is the more that i reflect on my own mortality the more i keep it right up front the better my life is you know, the more full my days feel, um, the better, the more I can let go of just all the petty bullshit that piles up over the day or the weeks or the months, you know, the, the better my life, the better my quality of life gets, the more that I, I really try to, um, internalize it. Now I've been in a motorcycle accident, you know, that was, you know, and it wasn't, it was nowhere near as close to, to death as, as your experience. So, Again, you know, when when slash if that happens to me, perhaps I'll feel differently. Perhaps I'm not as, um, I don't know, well adjusted to the idea as I as I think I am. Probably not. But yeah, I mean, what what does that? Has it? I mean, it's such a cliche to ask if it's changed you because obviously it has. But but I mean, how has it changed you? And what the hell have the past six months been like? You know, just kind of dealing with with what you've been through well there's there's so much there and in, in in what you said um if we go back to the idea of 
an awareness of death. I think you're right that Buddhism deals with this well. Um, Stoicism deals with this very well. Um, Heidegger deals with this very well. Um, the idea of life as being towards death. You know, once once you bring it to you, um, your own mortality, it, it's a much healthier way of dealing with things. Um, and I've done a lot of readings of Heidegger and Stoic philosophy and some in Buddhism. Um, and, and yeah, it's a very healthy way to approach things. There's, there's a difference between the one who is going through it and the one who loves the one who is going through it. Of course. And so your experiences with your loved ones that you mentioned, that's incredibly difficult. Um, and that rocks your world and that, and that brings into uh, question all of the things that you've experienced, you know, in your case with the women in your life and how that has come to define you and, and what their loss means to you. That's enormously complex. I think one's own death is fairly simple, or the idea of one's own death is fairly simple. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is um, you know, I'm not sure how to put this, but when you're going through, a, or, or for me, when I was going through the process I was going through, um, again, it, it, if I don't wake up or, you know, that, that's fine with me because to me that whether I live 80 years or whether I live 20 years or whether I live 50 years, it, it's all the same kind of because I've a life is just the time you're given. And what's 80 years compared to 50 years? I, I don't know. I'd say a lot. I mean, you know, and you're still a relatively young person. You're mm -hmm. a little older than me, but not. You know, mm -hmm. you're not an elderly person by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like being alive. I do too. I really that's enjoy the it. Thing, that there's, I dig it. Those man. things aren't and I want, odds. I want to stretch it out for. I don't know. I, I'm greedy. I want more. And I find <laughs> it interesting. You don't. Well, no, I do. Um, I I want to keep living. I like being alive. Yeah. But but in the sense of not living anymore, what does it matter? Because you won't know. Because I won't know. I'm not there. Sure. Um, so, I don't know, maybe that's to give me comfort, I'm not sure. Um, but I do think that, I mean, I, had I not had the experiences that I've had, like had I had different experiences, um, I might have a different outlook. But I, I feel like I've lived a very rich life, and I think we talked about this in the, in the previous um, discussion we had. Um, but I, I think there's... I'm sort of trying to point out that distinction. Even though, for me, it doesn't matter. For people who love you, it does matter. I would have a different perspective if I was married and had kids. Um, you know, which, which would, you know, bring a completely different mindset, I think, to that. Um, so there's there's that, um, and then I forgot your question. How have the past six months been? Well, uh, I'll tell you one thing that I was okay. thinking about. And again, this is very very different. But I had a, you know, not an unserious motorcycle accident, and for a long long time after that experience, I would think of it, and I mm -hmm. would get a kind of 
chill or, or a, um, almost like you wake up from a bad dream at night, that mm. jolt of something. And this, I, and this is not when I was dreaming or asleep. I would think of it now, like in the middle of the day and I would have that kind of like, woof, like, whew, that was, you know, that was close in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I'm curious about what the past six plus months have been like for you dealing with kind of the aftershock of, of what you, what you've been through. Um, well, the past six months have been me being very, very careful. Um, because, you know, in between my two hospitalizations, um, you know, I fucked up. I, (laughs) I ate food that I shouldn't have eaten and it, and my pancreas responded. Um, and it got worse. Um, so what basically I've just been trying to be careful, very careful in what I eat. Um, and very slowly coming around to gaining strength, being patient, resting. Um, I'm a pretty chill dude anyway, I think. And I like my hobbies are reading and writing and playing music. Um, so I, I did a lot of reading and writing, um, during those six months, I, I got very into a routine, um, you know, I would do Tai Chi in the morning and because the, the guy in Hong Kong, that one of the nurses in Hong Kong, he recommended Tai Chi for me for recovery. I was offered some physical therapy, but I couldn't afford it. Um, and the nurse started doing some moves in the, in the hospital and, you know, saying that that would be a good way to, to recover. So I started doing that, um, slowly started taking walks, um, but I would have a routine. Yeah, I would start. I would do some Tai Chi in the morning. I would make some oatmeal. You know, I had a very specific recipe that I developed. Um, and then, you know, I'm supposed to eat like small things five times a day. And um, my sister was just amazing. She came up with all these fantastic recipes that were delicious. And, um, you know, things I can't do. I can't do alcohol anymore. I can't do, uh, I couldn't do any fried food, processed food. Um, nothing high fat, nothing with oil. And when you think about it, you know, no dairy, dairy's high fat, no cheese, you know, things like this. And when you think about these things, um, and then you include things like, you know, eating, you know, like the right kind of carbs, um, trying to get organic things, you know, um, when you really think about that stuff, it becomes a way of life. So, so diet became my routine that I would think about. And then reading and writing every day, I would start every day writing. Um, and so I was working on a couple of essays, a couple of academic essays, and then also um, working on two book projects at the same time. And that's carried over to now, and I'm still continuing that and still working. It's going to be another series of writing projects that, you know, five people will read, but it, was, <laughs> but it was part of my spoken like a true academic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you, and this is a completely unfair and perhaps dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Great. Do you feel like you've processed what you went through? Yeah, I feel that, that that's sort of the question you're, you're getting at. And I, and I'm, I'm, um, 
It, it's an excellent question. Um, and I don't know how to answer it. Um, I think really um, I've cultivated, I've tried to cultivate the idea of living in the moment. So every day was just that day. Um, I haven't, I don't know to what level I processed the idea that I almost died. Um, it, I'm kind of embarrassed and maybe I should feel ashamed of this, but I don't, um, dwell on it very much. I don't, um, it doesn't have a, I mean, I know that I went through I, I, that I went through that for five months and then recovery for six months. Uh, or, or sorry, that I went through that for three months and then recovery for what is now six months. Um, and that it was difficult, but um, it's just something that I had to do. And and again, the idea of death, it, it, didn't, it just didn't happen. <laughs> mm. um, it could have happened, but it didn't happen. But isn't that being alive? Um, so I, I, so I don't, I, I don't know if I have anything. Um, I don't know if I have any lessons from that. Um, I mean, the, the lesson that I can carry with me right now is take, take good care of yourself. Mm. Um, appreciate your friends. Mm. Um, appreciate the time that you. Um, have to have this day I'm not out there you know jumping out of airplanes and you know doing extreme sports because yay I'm alive you know I, I maybe it's a personality thing but just every moment happy to be able to spend time with friends happy happy thankful to be able to play drums again um, you know happy to enjoy good quality food and um I don't know. I, you know, you, you hear these stories if you've got it. And again, my doctor told me this. He said, you've got a new life, you know, live it well. Well, I think I am trying to live it well. I, but I don't know what I'm, am I supposed to do something? I don't know. I, 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 and maybe there's, um, maybe I should be reflecting more on that stuff. But um, I don't know. I really don't it, and it's still, know how to answer that question. It's still pretty fresh, really. Well, yeah, maybe yeah. so. And maybe I'm in some sort of denial, too. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned you, you might be embarrassing. I don't, I don't, like, why would you feel like it might be embarrassing that you're because not? Because you're supposed to, you know, the narrative, the, the Hollywood narrative, is you're supposed to now do something profound. Mm. And I just don't feel that. I, my, you know, the thing that I want to do is, um, I actually do, I mean, okay, I do want to live a little bit differently in the sense of um, I'm taking on more of an interest now in um, what's happening to the planet, for example. Um, and the idea of I want to try to educate in different ways, um, maybe outside of academia. Um, you know, I the reason why I love being a teacher and why I love teaching students is to inspire them to create narratives and live interesting lives. You know, I always try to encourage my students to live interesting lives and I'm just sort of continuing that. Um, 
so it hasn't it hasn't been kind of the watershed that I that maybe people might expect but I think everybody's different um, so the the embarrassment is that I'm not I wish I had some kind of um, maybe Hollywood way of saying it or living but I don't, I just want you know I'm I'm grateful for being alive um, I went through it I dealt with it but it again it wasn't I mean there's a lot of, and I think people are different I think I'm weird I think I'm wired in a weird way because you know I've had like for example friends go through um, cancer um, um, treatment and and it's horrific and and there's very much the narrative of I'm going to fight this, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And for me, fighting was just, let's, let's get through this day. <laughs> I, I don't, I want to be careful here because I think I don't want to um, diminish the idea of a fight, but I don't, I don't think you fight these things. Mm-hmm. I think you keep living. It's not a fight. It's, I mean, <laughs> you know, Pancreatitis is something that happened to me. Cancer is something that happens to people. You 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 deal with it on an hourly, daily basis. Mm-hmm. Cancer is going to decide. You know the illness is going to decide. Just you know do what you can to be healthy and be in the right frame of mind. I think mental, being in the right mental frame of mind is very important. Um, I remember. Probably my favorite stand-up comedian, Norm, Norm MacDonald, had a bit about um, the whole narrative of, and it was a very profound and 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 uh, very deep bit, even though on the surface it didn't, didn't seem like that. Where he was talking about his uncle fighting cancer, and the uncle dies, he says, "Yeah, he he lost his battle, he lost his fight. What a loser! <laughs> like, the last thing he did was lose." And he's critiquing this whole idea, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 the, exactly what you're saying. It's it's a yeah. In in recent years, I, I've I've um, I've come to question that way of looking at it as well, you know. And um, and the whole idea that you know you just have to fight with everything in you rather than, in some ways, perhaps sometimes letting nature take its course, so to speak. Well, exactly, and you know that that's why I don't like these fuck cancer T-shirts and all that kind of stuff. But it, <laughs> You don't have to create an antagonistic relationship with what's invaded your body, right? It, it's invaded your body and, and it, dealing with these things on an anthropomorphic level as if it's some enemy um, or, you know, something like that just makes absolutely no sense to me. What you, what you have to do is you have to um, be focused on getting healthy and, and do the fucking best you can. Um, because there, I, I do believe that there's some aspect of intentionality, that there's some, you know, um, that there's, there's a, there is a will aspect to it. Um, but you don't have to create this oppositional antagonistic situation with it because <laughs> like Norm Macdonald said, chances are you're going to lose. I mean, why, why make it, why make a, a battle out of it? Just, just do what you can um, every day. Listen to your doctor. Take care of yourself. Appreciate the people around you. Appreciate the life that you have been given. And do your best to 
eat the right foods and all of that. I mean, there's a lot of people, I think, who have probably fought the cancer battle and then go back to their same lifestyle. And, mm. you know, that's not winning. You mentioned, you mentioned a few times, you, you said things like, you know, you were eating the wrong foods and now you're eating the right foods or whatever. And you're taking your diet a lot more seriously. Constant source of uh, just puzzlement. Is that a word? Puzzlement? I think it is. Um, I think so. I think so. Let's go with that. Um, for me is in, in 2019, why the hell isn't there some sort of consensus on what constitutes a healthy diet? I realize that there's a very long and convoluted answer to that question that involves, you know, various lobbies and special interest groups promoting certain ideas and yeah, all the rest. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I also wonder, though, the extent to which our bodies are very different. You know what I mean? Like, um, if I ate the same diet as anyone out walking in the streets of Thailand, mm. any Thai people, I would probably be a lot heavier than I am mm. right now because mm -hmm. my body, I've tried these diets. They just... I, I process things differently, I think, you know, but it's, it's so bizarre to me, like why, you know, science has come so far, we've landed a man on the moon, we've done all these things, we have the internet, but, but there's very little consensus. It seems to me, maybe I'm wrong, but um, as one who's pr perhaps not investigated this as much as I should, it seems to me there isn't as much consensus as I feel like there should be mm. around what the hell we should eat. You know, well, I think I, I think it's a lot of it's political. I, I yeah. think you can't separate science from ideology. Sure, it, th those two always there's a, there's always something at work there. Science is not an objective process. Um, I yeah I don't know. Um, I think everybody's well. I, I think there's different situations depending on what ails you. First of all, sure. Um, and I can speak for my own situation that I think eating a, a ton of meat is probably a bad idea. <laughs> you know, these, I guess these paleo diets or whatever, I haven't really looked into. The new fat is carnivore diets where it's straight meat all the time. Yeah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> that's just wow. absolutely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> um, good luck. I mean, I think with those diets, they tend to, to not eat carbs, right? Is that yeah, it's very, very low carb, but, but the new fad is, is people eating literally, like there's, there's um, some people eating just nothing but beef. That's it. Wow. Like nothing but, you know, animal protein coming from a cow. Like that's it. Yeah. Good luck with your colon. Yeah, that seems, I mean, and I'm, I'm a meat eater. I like meat, but that seems a bit, <laughs> yeah, a it's, bit much. For me, I mean, that's why I don't understand these fads. Um, I, I don't have a particular diet. I have my own particular diet. I was going to ask you, what are you eating these days? So, I, yeah, for me, it's no processed foods, no fried foods, no alcohol, which is a drag because I like alcohol. Um, no, have I already mentioned all this stuff? Okay. Uh, no processed food, no fried foods, low fat, low to no oil. Um, no dairy, no cheese. Oh, you did mention some of this. Is were this we were we talking a little bit? Yeah, just personally. But, yeah, but is this this is particularly related to your to my situation right? because yeah. your your pancreas? What the, I don't even know what the pancreas does. To it, be honest. it processes it processes foods, right? Um, and um, it doesn't like certain things like alcohol and mm. high fat. Right. Um, so. Um, yeah, so you, 
So my nickname for my pancreas, and this is something I came up with in the hospital, is Sam Rockwell. I like Sam Rockwell. He, I think he's a very underappreciated actor. He's, well, he's beginning to get appreciated. He's, he's an excellent actor. But, you know, at least in the past, you know, he's always playing these characters who have something off about, he, you know, these characters that have something off about them. Um, they really want to kind of get along. Um, but you know that at some point in the movie, something's going to snap and Sam Rockwell is just going to explode and, and burn everything to the ground. That's how I have to treat my pancreas right now, is I just don't want to set off Sam Rockwell. Mm-hmm. So, um, because, it, and I, f- I still feel it. Like when I eat certain foods, it's usually the first meal of the day. Um, I feel the pressure. Mm-hmm. And there's always this tiny bit of, oh no. So, still. Um, or if I eat something like I had um, some Isan food. Is that how you say Isan food? Isan. Yeah. Um, East yeah. Um, and, you know, that gave me some pressure. And I'm like, oh, no. Um, I just don't want to set them off. So, that, so my diet is, um, you know, and you can replace certain things. Instead of things like uh, creams and butters, I do non-fat yogurt I do a lot of non-fat yogurt I still I, I cook a lot of food and I cook a lot of curries and things like that but with no coconut milk because coconut milk is high in fat instead of oils I use um, broth um, so in essence I mean your, like this. your relationship with your body is very different now yeah yeah well and yeah and I, like if people want to lose weight like I feel fantastic right now you're much 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 thinner than yeah, I'm about... I've ever known you, yeah. What, 60 kilos, 135 pounds? And you feel better in your body. Oh, yeah. I feel fantastic. How's your energy level? Energy's off the charts. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, it, and it's, it's from being very careful with my diet. And again, just to emphasize, six months ago, you were... It's, you looked like you were knock, knock, knock on heaven's door. Yeah. <laughs> no offense. But no, you, absolutely. Like, so it, the transformation's remarkable, really. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was like when I got to Virginia, I was very pale. When, um, you know, when I first arrived in the States, my sister picked me up and it was right around Christmas time. And I remember Christmas and her family. And I felt like um, I remember my grandmother um, when she was near death and all the family came to visit her. And, you know, we were all excited. And I remember thinking to her, you know, she must be on a completely different time scale, like that everything's moving in fast motion. That's what it felt like when I first got to my sister's. Mm-hmm. Everything was moving. Everything seemed so hyperkinetic because mm-hmm. I was not. Right. Um, everything was moving too fast for me. Um, I don't know why I mentioned that. I forgot what you said. Uh, I was just really commenting on the transition. Yeah, yeah. So it, it went from that to... Um, really developing this diet. I mean, for me, it's, it's just a matter of moderation. I still eat meat. Um, but I find that I only need meat about once every three to four days. Most of my protein comes from other sources. Um, and moderation with things, trying to eat a lot of plants, um, eating carbs. I have to eat carbs. I mean, there's not a lot I can eat, so I got to eat something. So I eat carbs. I eat pastas. I eat rice. I eat brown rice. You must be thinking clearly with, you know, no booze, no... Well, that's the other thing is no booze. I Yeah, my alertness and my 
ability to focus on my writing has been fantastic. Um, an interesting thing that's happened, though, is... <laughs> I'm not sure if this is actually true or if I'm just in a certain mood right now, but playing music hasn't been quite as fun. And I think that music and alcohol, for me, go together. Um, so... Um, being away from alcohol does great things for your body and it does strange things in other areas because I, I like to drink. I don't think I was a lush. I had my moments. I had my periods of time in life. But I, was, I, I think I was fairly moderate. But I like having three drinks with friends and hanging out and having conversations that way. Um, and I like going on stage and playing music after having a couple of drinks. Um... And I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, some of those aspects are going to be lost, you know, 5%. Um, I, do, I still like going, you know, going to the bar and hanging out with my friends. And I like the fact that, at least in my experience so far, they haven't felt like they've had to not drink. Do you mm, know what I mean? Because sure. I don't want that. Sure. Please continue to enjoy your enjoyment. Um, uh, so that's... that's that's been okay. Um, I can hang out with friends, but, you know, I like to drink. I like the social aspect of it. It's funny you mentioned the music thing, too, because I did, last year I did uh, Sober October. So mm. I was stone cold sober for oh, a month of... Oh, Andy did that, too, right? Yeah. Andy, Andy did yeah. There's a few of us. Um, so just, you know, and, and I'm by no means like a super heavy drinker, but, right. you know, I just You're decided... like me. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I just, I, I would enjoy it socially, whatever, mm-hmm. and then... But I would still go out during the month of October and stuff. And I would still DJ, um, mm-hmm. you know, just play like little little bars and stuff. And I found DJing was a lot less fun when I didn't yeah. have a couple, yeah, a couple of pints or something. So, well, yeah, and and I remember there's been times when I've, you know, you see a different world when you're sober than when you're drunk. I mean, mm-hmm. the drunk world is is a very creepy place <laughs> when you're sober. It really is. Yeah, yeah. you see some horrible scenes and just oh, pickups yeah. gone awry. It's almost and... like <laughs> it's almost like a kind of psychedelic experience because mm-hmm. people's faces start melting. Yeah. You know? That's a good way of putting it. You <laughs> should see when you when you're DJing and you're elevated and you can see the whole crowd in front of you. Yeah. That's a psychedelic experience, yeah. man. When you see all of this just a it's like you see the one truth, stories. The yeah, truth exactly. unfold. Yeah. And then of course the inevitable thought, God, do I really look like that yeah. when I'm Half in the bag. Right. Um, are you are you thinking? How are you thinking about the future these days? Have you started thinking in smaller chunks, perhaps, or or you know, doing less or more planning, or or has your relationship with thinking about the future changed at all? Do you think it's it's mostly in, in not wanting to put myself in a position to get sick again. Mm. That's that's my main focus, um, and that goes for. Uh, career and work um i don't want to um academia is really stressful these days universities are really overworking their professors um and i'm the kind of professor who wants to do research do writing and things like that you're supposed to do that um but there's been less and less time in, in my experience in the jobs that i've had so um, in terms of continuing my career in academia, I want to be in a situation where I'm not stressing myself out because I do care. I mean, I, I care about teaching the students. I care about my grading. And that always comes first. 
Um, and then I have to keep doing research. And then, you know, you've got the committee shit that you've got to do. And it, in, in the sense of something's got to go, you know, it, it builds up stress. And I think that buildup of stress has led me to get sick. So I'm looking at possibly alternate ways, or at least if I can't find an alternate way, then at least um, get into a university where I'm not so stressed out. Um, and I deal with stress in weird ways, I think. I, I'm one of those kind of people who feels like everything's fine without knowing that I'm in a mm. stressful situation. Um, so I don't always recognize it. You mentioned you've been writing. What are you writing? What are you working on? Um, it's it's a continuation of, of the work I'm doing. I'm 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 trying to do a philosophy of audibility. Um, so um, I probably talked about this before with you. Um, in, a little bit, but I think it's worth unpacking. Sure. <laughs> uh, if if the if the if the classic uh, Greek concept of uh, epistemology and knowledge is through vision and through rhetoric is basically um, Plato and Aristotle's main ways of knowledge and for Aristotle and I think Plato as well is um, that the rhetoric is what separates the cultured from the uncultured. So rhetoric is a, is a big part of it. I'm wondering about this other aspect um, and that is sort of our experiences of hearing and listening that have no um, system of understanding so no language um, and that is not visual so we're constantly in this sensory experience and what are we making of that that's been the work that I'm trying to do and so that leads to a lot of pre-Socratic philosophy like before Aristotle categorized everything um, I'm going to start dipping more into Buddhist and Hindu philosophy, and maybe some Sufi mysticism and things like this. Um, it's not about music. Um, it's about the everyday experience of being audible and what what we make of that. So that's what I'm working on, and it's going into two books. And the first, I you know, I already finished a book on. Uh, I did this through um, cinema with Terrence Malick. So I did a book on Terrence Malick um, about an unseeing cinema or an audible cinema. Um, and now I'm the, the next project, which is almost done now because I did a lot of so much work while I was recovering. Uh, I think it's going to be called Essays in Audibility. So it's going to be a series of 12 to 15 essays on different topics of audibility, like um, understanding, belief, memory, um, a concept of law, um, a concept of signs, interpretation. So these are all the kind of different essays. And they're meant to work together, but also be standalone. And then at the same time, I've got this other book on pre-Socratic concepts of hearing and listening. And that's going to join with some ancient Asian philosophies. Sounds like some nice light reading. <laughs> Oh, God. The list is just incredible. The list is endless. And yeah. the amount of effort that I put into reading is enormous. Mm -hmm. um, and I still don't know what I'm doing. So, yeah. Any uh, 
parting words before we go get lunch? Um, you know, there's some things I wanted to say and they're not coming to mind. Um, can I just say thanks to everybody who um, contacted me and donated money and came and visited me? Um, even though I was resistant to people coming to visit me, those visits meant a lot. Obviously, the donations really those really saved me. I would be destitute, quite literally, right now if, if people hadn't done that. Um, and I'm so appreciative of the friends that I have and the family that I have. You know, my family really came together and and help me and and it sometimes moves me in a way that I can't that overwhelms me um, the generosity of people um, really affects me and, and, and it means a lot to me um, and I don't know I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm very happy to be alive death could take me any minute and that's fine I'm very happy to be alive I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't want to go through another experience like that ever again. So I'm going to take care of myself. Um, you know, I don't really have any wisdom to share with people other than um, enjoy your life and enjoy the time you have with others. It's all very cliche stuff, but take care of your body because you know your body is taking care of you. That sounds cheesy as fuck. No, but. You know, and, and your main the main thrust of what you, what you've been saying, I think, for a lot of this conversation, be present, man. You know, like enjoy yeah, this, enjoy that cup of coffee, enjoy this cup of tea. Like, right, really, and I yeah, I and can't imagine anything more profound than that. Really. Get away from your phone and you know, read some Stoic philosophy. You know, read meditations. Read Marcus meditations, Aurelius. yeah, or um, some Epictetus, or mm. you know, um, read some books. Read some books. Yes. Highly recommended. Well, Jim, it's really, really good to see you. you Always to say, pleasure. I'm really glad you're, yeah, doing so much better. And thanks. Uh, and thanks a lot for this. Thanks very much. have it my friends i hope you enjoyed the conversation with james uh enjoyed is maybe the wrong word i hope you got something out of that conversation i i certainly did and james is always a really good sport to make time for me to come on the podcast and i'm pretty confident that he'll be back on at some point soon so i'll use this opportunity to remind you that you know if you haven't subscribed to humans in love please do so you can do so on apple podcasts or your podcast app of choice while you're at it, uh, ratings and reviews are really, really helpful for any podcast success. So if you dig the show, please let others know and go to iTunes, go to Apple Podcasts, go to your podcast app of choice, and please leave a rating and a review. I will end the show today, as I always do, by reminding you that life is short, and I think this is a particularly appropriate episode to end on that note. And I really hope you enjoy the rest of your summer. If you're in yeah, the non-Australia, New Zealand part of the world. Hope you really enjoy the rest of your summer. And I'll be coming to you again with more episodes very, very soon. Mm-hmm.